good news everyone talking futurama is coming back for talking futurama season two part two fresher than a summer ham this podcast comes every friday and if you sign up at the five dollar level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons you can hear each episode as it goes live that's right sign up today at patreon.com slash talking simpsons for five dollars to hear talking futurama every friday throughout the rest of 2020 and also all the previous episodes we've done so far so head over to patreon.com slash talking simpsons now or we're gonna clamp you shut up and take my money i heartily endorse this event or product Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons, a crowning achievement in entertainment technology. I am your host, the Covered in Space Dust, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and consider this a podcast of forgotten lore. And who do we have on the line? Uh, I'm Ian Jones Cordy, and uh, come on, do it, man, the blood thing. <laughs> <laughs> and today's episode is the very first Treehouse of Horror. Today's episode aired on October 25th, 1990, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. (gasps) Oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, Evander Holyfield defeats Buster Douglas for the heavyweight boxing championship. In Japan, a wind named Amnesia is released in theaters, while in American theaters, Mystery Science Theater classic Soul Taker is released. And that that overlaps with the actual run of Mystery Science Theater. (laughs) It does, yeah. I I never considered that it was like technically contemporary of of the Mystery Science Theater. Uh, Joe Estevez, correct? Uh, Yes. And one of two Robert Zadar movies they did. The other one was, I think, Mm. Future War? uh, Yes, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Zadar, Zano. I I believe believe Zadar wrote the opening to one of Joe Estevez's books mm. of just like the introduction and just they they were they were good buddies. Uh Wind Named Amnesia, I remember it being on the V the box on the shelf, but I actually have never seen that one. I might have seen it but I don't remember. <laughs> I, that's, that's my little joke. I, yeah, I don't know if I've seen it. I all I know is Amano did the designs. Yes, or, yeah. I, I think yeah. yeah, but I, I don't think I've ever seen it. I feel like I've seen a trailer for it on like, you know, I don't know, Central Park Media, like <laughs> another yeah. like anime tape or something. I can imagine seeing the trailer for it ahead of like a, an Aiko DVD, VHS. Yeah. Or Angel's Egg. Yeah, that was, <laughs> exactly. that was another Amano one. I think that one looked more like Amano's designs than uh, Amnesia. Like the, the hyper detail worked better in Angel's Egg. I think Amnesia, they had to tone down it a little just for like budget purposes mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah vander holyfield beating buster douglas before the buster douglas boxing video game came out for the genesis so. oh man <laughs> bad timing yeah it's, it's a shame uh but evander i well who knows what's happening by the time you listen to this but in the news recently was evander holyfield because people are talking like mike tyson in his 50s just had a boxing match and now people are like what if him and evander holyfield had an exhibition match uh in the next year like well will people actually pay to see that uh people will pay to see anything yeah sure (laughs) uh but hey welcome back to ian jones quarty woo Hey, thanks for having me. Ian, of course, has been on the show a number of times, but, uh, you know, obviously the creator of the great cartoon, OKK, Let's Be Heroes, and just a fantastic legacy in the world of animation. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be here on uh, this episode, which is such like an animation highlight uh, for like an early Simpsons episode. 
Oh yeah, and you I mean on on your shows uh you worked on especially OKKO I think uh by your count had like 3 Halloween episodes. Yeah, um I'm just like a huge fan of Halloween episodes. Uh I love yeah, just a chance to get spooky with the characters and I think Simpsons is like the standard bearer, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh I didn't work on regular show, but regular show kind of uh tried to do like a treehouse of horror style thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just always like, yeah, when, uh, you know, the Simpsons really sort of set the stage of like, this is something you can do just to have fun mm-hmm. with the world and stuff. So it's cool to see like this tradition, like start. Yeah. Your, your buddy Toby Jones worked on some of those, uh, regular show Halloweens. I think those, those yeah. were really great. I, and yeah, you're the OKKO OK one with the characters from ghoul school was, uh, was one of my all time favorite episodes of the, the whole series. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. It's, uh, it's another thing. Yeah. Similar to the Simpsons. It's like, Oh, it's a chance to kind of like, uh, have fun with, you know, whatever pop culture, spooky pop culture stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you can play with. And yeah, we were just like, we wrote some really nice letters to the Hanna-Barbera people. <laughs> And we're just like, can can we please use these characters you don't care about, but we do? <laughs> yeah, you also, Ian, really helped me and Bob, I think, appreciate more the the early years of the show. Like we, we talked about this on the uh the first episode we uh the season one we we did with you and, and Toby, and I think uh it's true for this one too, because it's so early season two that they they're still, you know, finding themselves uh, I but this like visually this is such a great looking episode it's a huge step up and you could tell how much they've learned mm-hmm. you know and the season two episodes really they benefit clearly from the experience that they've all had in season one which they had a rough go at it yeah it's just uh you know i made the argument before that in the same way as comedy nerds we love love to see comedic bits and uh timing improve from like episode to episode seeing it happen to the animation too is like a rare treat so Mm. like you know these early episodes are just like they're so fun to look at and three of the strongest simpsons directors are directing on this this is back when there was a director on each segment yeah right yeah and and also i saw that like the assistant director on all three segments is jim reardon yeah so this is Wow. A, a packed show of directors and like, he'll be directing pretty soon in the season too yeah 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 this i mean this is such a a great looking episode when you compare this to you know the the roughness of say homer's odyssey it's 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 wild to think that this aired within the same year for the series yeah it's it's like it's very astounding and yeah all of the each of the segments you know and i have my favorite things within each segment but they all kind of have their own feel too uh which i really like mm-hmm. uh, and also Ian, i know uh before we get into treehouse too i i know you really were a big fan of the bark gets an f episode i i was i was curious like what 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 are your thoughts on that one? Oh yeah uh it's actually kind of similar it's like bark gets an f uh is like one of my favorite episodes just because you can you can really feel the show coming into its own they're like having fun with it being a cartoon i guess in a way that's kind of free from the them being scared about it being a cartoon which season one kind of has a little bit of friction there bart gets an f it's like you finally sort of get to see them uh enjoy 
the fact that they can kind of do anything and it's just like one of my favorite shows mm. from the simpsons uh it's almost like a remake of bart the genius but yeah uh, yeah it's true that's kind of what i like about it though it's like if they could reapproach this bart storyline with the benefit of like knowing the characters better knowing the world's better knowing what they can do it just feels great and it's got a really good uh dream sequence part too yeah yeah and i i think silverman really is like took his game to the next level on that one too like uh compared to the well babysitter bandit he kind of had to do like a fix-up job on that but that those two episodes back to back uh him and his team really took a lot of uh took a lot of new approaches to the series that in that episode yeah that that like pan across the uh this the scene in snow day yeah just like yeah. A, a new achievement for the show at that point in its timeline just like uh, you had never seen anything that beautiful or ambitious before on the simpsons yeah it's honestly just like gorgeous and amazing you can really feel that kind of ambition uh kind of follow through into this episode as well and uh yeah i guess uh you know on the production of this one there's the story they have on the commentary but we got the inside scoop from yes. jay kogan we on got our, the, uh, her old interview the dirt from kogan that interview's on our patreon correct yes yeah, yeah. uh but yeah do you want to go into it henry uh yeah as uh as kogan said it and you can hear the whole thing in the in, in our interview and uh, kogan is funny because he's he still is in the entertainment industry but he really is just like hey, you know what? i'll just tell he he seems very free with his opinions i'll say uh which i appreciate it but so as he's told the story and uh, kogan and waladarsky they wrote the middle act of this one uh he says that it began with matt graining coming into the writer's room one day and saying we should do a ghost stories episode i think that's how who shot mr burns happened too he just walks in says an idea <laughs> and they have to make it uh, <laughs> yeah he he joked around that as uh, they love matt graining and he's a genius and all that but they also said sometimes at the time in the writer's room there was a frustration that he would drop an idea on them and say well you guys write this i'm going away and uh, I think that he, as he put it, the late Sam Simon wasn't a fan of that idea of just being told, like, do ghost stories. And they also were worried that it would be too cartoony. They'd lose the groundedness of the series. But uh, Kogan says him and Waldersky were really p pushing for it. They thought it would be a lot of fun to, like, break format and do these crazy stories. And Kogan said a big reason they were able to sell Simon on doing the show was that Sam Simon got into the idea of like well what if we did the raven like that's such a famous poem i love it and, and kogan who <laughs> said like nobody knows the raven he doesn't particularly care for the raven but he's like yeah no the raven let's do it yeah and it does feel like uh, we'll get into it when we get to the segment it does feel like they had something to prove for that segment for yeah, sure yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's fun to see uh them like do something uh so earnest Mm -hmm. yeah which they well and you hear on the commentary though they were like scared to be that earnest they they're fighting themselves the whole scene i think as as it aired but this is really For the sure. first uh, this is the first like breaking of the rules right mm -hmm. that uh, james l brooks put down like no real family real circumstances and then we have a crazy halloween episode <laughs> and <laughs> and then also kogan said they were it's it's not a joke that they have the thing at the start with marge like they were legitimately concerned they'd terrify children with it so uh, comparatively though when you see this one it is kind of like bart's joke later like the first the first one isn't that's very true. scary by comparison yeah that is really true 
and uh, also though on the commentary i i've really the next time if we're ever able to interview david silverman again this is another one on my list but like on the commentary he lightly touches on how incredibly stressful doing this episode was and i'd really like to hear more about it because they they kind of like gloss over it on the commentary they are like really punchy and actually kind of rude about the animation on this uh oh, i don't yeah. i don't know what's yeah. their like last commentary of the day i don't know what was happening <laughs> in 2001 or 2002 when they were doing this but yeah they're just like a little too snippy about this <laughs> yeah i mean watching the simpsons commentaries was always like such uh you know inspiration for me when they existed but uh man it was always like a bummer when you wanted to hear oh this is what like the anime went through and you just never got any of it <laughs> i know like yeah. on a few times there's just like straight up insulting the animation and uh mike reese is like you know we were so impressed by this when it came back and he's talking about the portal in the in the haunted house segment mm. he says now this looks like an ambitious washing machine and i'm <laughs> oh, like man God. like yeah. <laughs> isn't david silverman in the room i know yeah i when i started listening to the commentaries you know uh, as, a, as a as a man in his 20s <clears throat> i i really just liked all the fun stories about the writer's room stuff and i was just like man it sounds so fun to be a hollywood comedy writer all those things but now as i i listen to them for like the eight millionth time for the podcast i am thinking like the animators should have a separate commentary i want to yeah. i want to hear them just talk about their craft separate from the other fun stories that the writers are kind of dominate on the commentaries yeah i mean you know not to get all curmudgeonly here <laughs> but you know there is like you know people have a lot to say about the division of writers and animators and who gets more spotlight and who gets more credit and you know who ap appreciates who and mm. you know i think the thing is you know writers and animators are both groups of creative people who feel uh undervalued mm, and yeah. so when it comes down to it the writers are more likely to like dominate you know the conversation well they're usually outnumbering the the animators in the in the recording room too yeah uh, but uh yeah as the story went that that it was a very difficult season two for mo for the directors because uh, in Silverman in particular, he became official series director, but also still had five episodes. And so did Wes Archer and so did Rich Moore. And then they're told, also, you're going to direct a third of another episode yeah. as well. And they only hired two more directors, right? They only hired uh, Reardon Kirkland. and Kirkland, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it sounded really rough. Like Silverman just says, like, I don't know how we got it done, but we did. <laughs> and and I'll also shout out our, our friend Warren on his podcast, Simpsons is Better Than. In his Wes Archer interview, like uh, Archer mentioned specifically the overwork that included this episode on season two led him to like briefly quit the series because <laughs> he was just feeling wow. too just way too much that casts a little bit of a shadow on treehouse that i think you know now now 30 years removed we can just appreciate it as just you know a, a, a great job done by all the artists involved but and, and now it's normally a uh, holdover episode from the previous season so they have more time to work on it it's yeah. not like the first or second yeah. production episode for a season <laughs> that factoid is really funny to me uh knowing that wes archer would end up directing on rick and morty maybe <laughs> one of the most design intensive shows <laughs> i've ever seen and he's like 30 right. years older now oh man 
<laughs> uh, maybe his heart's been hardened so much more <laughs> since then. <laughs> but we do have one superstar to talk about before ah, we yes. get into this. So finally, uh, we have the debut of Alf Clausen on mm. The Simpsons. So we all know Alf. Uh, it's going to be a little like mini corner for him on this podcast. Honestly, we could do a series about him. We can do an entire, entire podcast about him. We're not going to give him enough justice, but he is essential to The Simpsons, in fact. So uh, I had one of the DVDs in. And I was like, what are the extras on here? And one of them was, oh, The Simpsons get their Walk of Fame star. And it's just like a cheesy PR thing with Matt Groening and James L. Brooks giving a little speech. And they're, uh, you know, getting little shots of people in the crowd. And Matt Groening comes up to Alf Kloss and, and on camera he's like, this guy is the secret weapon of the Simpsons. It's, it's all this guy. So it makes me even sadder to think that he's not on the show anymore and hasn't been for three years. Yeah. At the, at the time of this recording, there's like a very sticky lawsuit going on after uh, Alf's le- leaving the show, let's say. And yeah, so Richard Gibbs is gone. Uh, is it Richard Gibbs? Like, uh, yeah, it is Richard Gibbs. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's more than one, Gibb. And then they would try out two other composers uh, after him, and one of them will be back in the next episode because oh. this is the fourth production episode, and the next one is actually the third production episode. Uh, okay. So like one, two, and three are not Alf Clausen, but four and onward is Alf Clausen. I mean, you hear the music in this episode, like I, especially in the second segment. I just think like this is why he got hired. The, when you hear the like the scoring of stuff happening on screen, like uh, to so much silence, it's just perfect. His his instincts just fit for the show. Clausen uh, was a an amazing hire for them. I I mean, the show the show would still be going. I would think at least into many seasons, you know, production-wise, they'd, they'd get some other composer, but his backing track of all these moments really do matter quite yeah. a lot. And, like, especially in The Raven, the music is so good in that segment. It really sells it. Yeah, hearing this episode, it's clear why they needed Alf to sell everything about it. Honestly, yeah, like you said, uh, Henry, the, the second uh, segment, it's like the fact that we got kind of, like, we got Kang and Kodo's theme out of it, which is like so recurring mm-hmm. and so important. You know, you just think of that mm-hmm. music when you see the characters. It's 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 a really good showcase of his skills. If this was his audition i'd say he nailed it Mm -hmm. so i can talk about where he came from like the composer on uh, simpson and delilah he also came from the tv uh, sitcom composing trenches and his first work was composing cues for a few episodes of mod so that's where he began Uh, a few episodes of mod and his two big jobs for the simpsons were uh, he was a series composer for both alf yes alf clausen uh, wrote the music for alf (laughs) and for moonlighting so i want to say like uh, the last guy was a guy like in the mary tyler moore verse like he he composed for Mary Tyler Moore mm. and Lou Grant and uh, Rhoda. So a like, lot of Brooks work. I'm there, sure yeah. Brooks found him, but I, I want to say probably Gina Reese was like, oh, we worked with Alf Clausen and he was great. Let's try Alf out. So I want to say there's there's got to be a connection there. You'd think, yeah, the Alf connection of uh, of the of Gordon Shumway, I should say. The Gordon Shumway connection. <laughs> and uh, so outside of scoring The Critic, uh, Bette Midler's short-lived early 2000 sitcom and weirdly oh. enough, the movie Half-Baked, The Simpsons was his life for the last 30 years that is not an error i wow. double checked like I that did, can't be true i did not know that half-baked thing that's a really an amazing uh, career but it makes total sense 
in a way. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to rehash the lawsuit because it's ugly and it makes me sad. And, you know, he's having some you know health problems that come with aging. But uh, who, sh- uh, who scores the show now is uh, a company called Bleeding Fingers Music. And Hans Zimmer owns that company. So essentially, mm. it's like a, a music production company. I'm sure they do good work and, you know, their cues are fine. But you do miss, like, the singular musical vision of one composer writing everything. Mm-hmm. So it just, it's not, this. it can't be the same and it won't be the same. Well, and uh, Clausen had, you know, usually at least some, I, when I say full orchestra, I don't know, like, the number of members of it. But he had, it was live instrumentation usually yeah. he was writing for, which, you know, is was... Uh, special uh, back then and and still is and i that that the simpsons i believe with losing alf they also lost live instrumentation i think that i think i think that's true yeah that hurts it too but uh, that's also it's a budget thing you know and budget crunch happens to all of these shows even one as big as the simpsons which i hope everything you know everybody just mellows out and things get nice between alf and the the company i it's 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 a really sad like some ugly ugly dirty laundry is coming out on what people feel I, in that i mean i hope we at least get an in memory of when he passes away oh, if, well, if they yes, snub him yeah. i'll be very upset no no that that would be i i would think they're classy enough to do that hopefully <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah i mean you just hear his music in this and it's like it's a huge step up from season one like season one depends so much on these just you know big stings like like just these yes the the, the famous gibbs things that we all screamed about yeah. <laughs> Oh, that babysitter bandit episode. Can't deal with it anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, when I think when I think of Alf Clausen, I mostly think of like there's a bunch of like incidental themes that he added to the show, which really kind of you know, which really kind of deepened the thing. Like character themes. There's like a nice rhythm to a lot of the uh pieces of music uh that kind of like get you in the mood for like here comes a joke mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like you know cutting to the simpsons and you just hear that sort of like <laughs> and you're like oh here we go <laughs> yeah it's just this is the start of a scene kind of music and not to mention the show from season two onward really season three like it becomes a much more musical show just like songs songs upon songs that even if it is you know jeff martin you know writes it too like even uh martin would be i think the first to say like clausen's orchestration of his compositions really took them up a notch too and think of how many uh versions of the ending theme he wrote the just yeah. instrumental oh, versions God, all the yeah. different variants on those He's, he was so talented yeah and they're all they're all amazing and you know it, it you feel like the reverence for like the original Danny Elfman song and trying to sort of like make it work in almost any situation. Yeah, uh, it feels really good. Yeah, he found. Yeah, you're right. He found like these tones of the elfman opening too and and expanded on those or used that as starting points for so many other themes in the show too yeah i just i think of like what's the the music sting for like burns being evil or, yeah. or even like his version of sideshow bob's theme which is just the cape fear theme but like it's uh legally yeah. distinct yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it, it always felt it always it feels weird that it's not there now or like you hear like some library uses of some of the stuff, but like I recall, like you know, the Simpsons movie has this completely different feel, uh, and it doesn't, you know, quite feel like Simpsons music. I think Hans and Zimmer did the feeling... score for that movie, correct? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's good to see him join the crew. 
Yeah, yeah, it's and it's a it's a really good like twenty five years for him. And, <laughs> but, yeah, his last uh, episode that he was credited on is uh, season twenty nine's Whistler's Father. So I think like twenty seven, twenty eight years, something like wow. that. Yep. The Simpsons will be right back. Thursday. Welcome to the Simpsons Tales of Halloween. Hello, something scary happening. From a haunted house. Do it again. No. Do the blood thing. Come on, do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. To outer space. There's something not quite right about this. The girl's right. Let's get some applesauce out here for these pork chops. You'll laugh <laughs> till you scream. <laughs> the Simpsons Halloween special Thursday on Fox. Quote the Raven Nevermore on this week's episode. And thanks so much to everybody for listening. And a big thank you to our guest this week, Ian Jones Cordy. We always love having him on, especially for such a landmark episode as the first Treehouse of Horror. Please, if you haven't yet, check out his series, OKKO Let's Be Heroes. It's on HBO Max and Hulu currently. And I think you will have a whole lot of fun if you like The Simpsons. Also, a big thank you to all of our supporters at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. You see, me and Bob are able to do podcasts like this every week thanks to the support of the listeners on there who pledge five bucks a month and help me and Bob do it as our full-time jobs. Those people also get tons of extras every month. You get a giant back catalog of amazing exclusive podcast miniseries us covering shows like The Critic, Futurama, King of the Hill, and Mission Hill. And each month you'll get a new episode of our Talking Futurama podcast as we're going through season three. And you'll also, in March, start getting our newest Talking of the Hill podcast where we cover season two. And a huge back catalog of extras to go with it as well. Please sign up at five bucks a month to help me and Bob do this as our full-time jobs and to get tons of extra podcasts. And you know something even fancier than radish rosettes? That's our premium level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons you get all of the five dollar stuff i just mentioned but for 10 bucks a month you get a big premium extra podcast each week we do our what a cartoon podcast on the free feeds but if you are a ten dollar subscriber you get access to our monthly what a cartoon movie podcast where we cover an animated feature film in depth to the same degree that we cover the simpsons recent films include the studio ghibli classic whisper of the heart dexter's lab ego trip end of evangelion and coming this month the ducktales movie from 1990 we had so much fun and you will too if you listen to those over 100 hours of original what a cartoon movie content you'll get behind that paywall for 10 bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpson so please sign up today Last pre thing I want to say too is I, I did find out there was one I do think graining came with the ghost story thing 
partially as an expansion of a Tracy Ullman shorts. Oh, right, yeah. In, in season two, there was one called Scary Stories, where uh, it's part Lisa and Maggie telling each other, each other scary stories that involve turning off the light switch. And I do think it came from, I've, I've seen other interviews where Granny goes like, he, he wrote a several Ullman shorts that were like, and then the characters are in the dark and you <laughs> just have to draw eyeballs. It's the floating eyeball show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so I, I think uh, this is another one. It's, it's hard to even think of like, oh yeah, this is an expansion of a shorts thing because the shorts are just, they're lost to time. We thought that in our Bill Cop interview that it's just such a sad thing that like they're, they're not really archived anywhere or just like off of Comedy Central recording. The best possible version were like mid-90s Comedy Central recordings. After that, like they're just nowhere and yeah. uh, they deserve a Blu-ray release. Totally. There's nothing to be ashamed of. This is where one of the most important cartoons of all time came from. Mm-hmm. You can't bury your past. Even the KTMA episodes of Mystery Science Theater are all out now. Yeah. They stopped sitting on them. <laughs> I think, you know, when you're on the inside of a production like this, you don't value those you know those foundational blocks as much as maybe people on the outside Mm. like fans do so i i guess i can Mm. i can understand why they wouldn't want to sell it especially you know but at at the height of physical media they really should have done it they would have gotten us all to to buy an extra dvd set that year they could have Mm. sold like millions of them just like the things you've never seen or they only aired once or whatever just like the lost episodes call it that yeah yeah lie to me i don't care (laughs) in 2003 they'd have sold so many oh man there'd be an entire just uh, shelf at best buy just for that (laughs) Uh, i want to go over two things up front about this episode that bother me about the halloween show so number one it's called treehouse of horror not treehouse of horrors Mm. and i see people writing at the second time all the time including al gene when he was tweeting about it <laughs> this year special he even he called a treehouse of horrors uh i mean it makes more sense to be horrors it does right? yeah. yeah i mean vault of horror was the comic yes yeah, so i think yeah. that's why it's named after uh that or that's not, that's why the title is like that so yeah treehouse of horror problem number one people get that wrong problem number two this is the only one that takes place in the treehouse so the title doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and problem number three is the title screen says the simpsons halloween special yeah, yeah. so it has yeah. Everyone has two different titles every year. It just it frustrates me. That's all. For someone who likes things to be orderly, I'm like everything about this is wrong. I guess it's part of the horror, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's unnerving, Bob. It's it's the nevermore for you. I demand the... organization in this show. Uh, well, it does it does fit with their dual naming of the Christmas episode as well. It's oh. the Simpsons Christmas special and also Simpsons roasting on an open fire. It it is interesting to think about that. Eventually, Treehouse just ascended to the official thing they call it on the show. Like they they stopped calling it the Simpsons Halloween special, and they accepted like the internal name is known enough by the fans that they just call it that. I can't remember. Do they actually put Treehouse of Horror on the screen now? I definitely think on Treehouse 30, they said hmm. Treehouse, uh, 30 Treehouses or something. They talked about it on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting that they had like two titles for it, I guess, you know, <laughs> these things happen. And uh, then the fans started knowing about it and now you can't back away from it. It's, it's like Snake and Jailbird and <laughs> stuff like that. You know? I, I like, mean, the thinking was like, well, no one will ever see these titles. Maybe the week it comes out on uh, in TV Guide, you'll see it, but that's mm-hmm. it. But they didn't know about like DVDs or streaming or whatever when you're like scrolling through and looking at the titles. We were supposed to just watch these once and forget about them. <laughs> and watch <laughs> all the commercials. Yeah. Pay attention to those. Yeah. 
don't be a freak like Homer remembering old TV. We actually, yeah. So when we talked to John Vitti, who wrote, uh, did he write any segments in this one? No, but Not he, this one. He's no. a writer on the season. In that, like one of the King of the Hill episodes is called uh, "John Vitti Presents Return to La Grunta mm. as a, a joke on him for not being there during a rewrite. But now that is preserved on Hulu, on DVDs, <laughs> in every airing you see, his name is there, and it's an inexplicable. And we found out what it was. Amazing. This episode, though, begins with Marge's disclaimer. Here, I'll play the quick clip to also warn our audience that this will be very scary. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. <clears throat> you know, Halloween is a very strange holiday. Personally, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Kids worshiping ghosts, pretending to be devils. Mm-hmm. Things on TV that are completely inappropriate for younger viewers. Things like the following half hour. Nothing seems to bother my kids, but tonight's show, which I totally wash my hands of, is really scary. So if you have sensitive children, maybe you should tuck them into bed early tonight instead of writing us angry letters tomorrow. Thanks for your attention. They don't do it every year, but it's fun whenever it comes back, the the Marge warning. And that is a parody of the opening of the 1931 version of Frankenstein, and we have a clip of uh, the important part of that opening. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. (laughs) Oh, no. So if any of you (laughs) feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... uh, Well, we've warned you. I love that. Well, yep. we warned you. That's good. I, and and he's in front of a you know stage with a curtain on it. Just Presumably like it's a red curtain. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is just one of the examples of the show. Uh, season two, they're really working through the controversy. Mm. And I think they're done with it by season three. They're just having more fun with it. But yeah, like a Simpson on a t-shirt. I never thought I'd see the day. Right, right. This, uh, this opening about getting the angry letters. Uh, the way the Raven, I think, is trying to be like, no, see, we're actually an educational cartoon. We can oh, teach right. your kids something. <laughs> I think that's part of it too. Uh, and Bart gets an F as the underachiever and proud of it. Yeah. Thing too. Yeah. And they're, they're writing this like probably in January of 1990. Maybe by the time season two, like they're partway through that they're on Thursday, the ratings are getting lower. They maybe they're all thinking like, ah, we worked on Alf. Now the, the fads over, we, we can relax. some. Um, yeah. I guess you can feel them kind of uh, responding. Yeah. Or like maybe almost overcorrecting to what mm-hmm. they think the audience is gonna think but uh it just comes off as so so quaint and cute now yes yeah i well and also them putting marge in this position to be the warner and like a prude almost it it fits with the itchy and scratchy and marge yeah uh, which will come later this season too I will say when I watched it as a kid, like I, it didn't scare my mom off from letting me watch it. And I think actually my brother and I took pride in that, like, oh, we're like Bart and Lisa. She says that it doesn't bother <laughs> her kids and it doesn't bother us either. We're just like the cartoon character. 
<laughs> That's funny. But, uh, I mean, did your parents, Bob, see this and, and worry that you'd be scared by it or something? I, I think we watched it together. Okay. I have memories of watching the, uh, at least up through like season five or six, watching them all with my parents when they were live. <laughs> There's no way my parents would have approved of, of this <laughs> at all. They were like against me watching The Simpsons in general. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I saw this until probably not syndication. It might have reran. Uh, like shortly after i don't Mm. think i was there live for this one i think by the fourth year that when they had enough for a two-hour block they would just do a marathon of it i think so maybe maybe that was it in the in the rerunning of it and we're talking about how this uh show almost killed all the directors one of the super ambitious things i noticed up front is just it's a bunch of zooms into yeah. the house. I mean, it's broken apart. The cuts are when the lightning flashes, so there are cheats, but still, just the constant zoom across the landscape, like to the Simpsons' house, passing like tombstones and whatnot. Way, way cool. Like super stylized and awesome. Yeah. Oh, the man, the zoom in, and then the with Snowball Two like hissing at the screen. Yeah. Like, it's such a cool shot. Yeah. It's the all the like camera truckings and zooms are really impressive and. Like the only digitally aided Zoom is is like the title, Simpsons Halloween special title. Mm-hmm. Like around the same time, like I think like Hanna-Barbera was doing this digitally, like all like Zooms and stuff like that. So to see them do it all like in camera is like very, very impressive. And uh, yeah, no, no scary Halloween names at the start of this. No, one. you still have the hideous green font yes. that just takes up the entire screen. And Henry, how did you feel about uh, Garfield being listed amongst the dead? I don't know why they, they got something out for Garfield there. Is it that they hate Garfield and want him to go away? Is that is that it? I, Gar- Garfield and Friends was huge in 1990. Uh, yeah, and I, I thought of them as equals in 1990. <laughs> Eight year old me was like Garfield and simpsons the two best shows on television they both hold the mirror up to society yeah (laughs) it seems kind of yeah it's just sort of random because like all the other ones kind of fit the theme and then it's just you have garfield uh, which is great, and uh, I don't think we mentioned no no creepy names either, yes, no parody yeah. names either. Well, and, oh, and you know, in two years, Garfield animators will be doing Simpsons episodes when they oh. go to film Roman for season four. Right, that's true. <laughs> I, I Homer also... is basically a taller Garfield, <laughs> uh, and and Casper the friendly boy. That was a good. That was a good job. I like it better than the disco. It's like we get a disco's dad. Got it. But it made me think of how the Casper movie, which I remember liking, actually went into the backstory of the child who died to become Casper yes yeah that was so weird like yeah it's christina ricci asks him like how'd you die or what what did death feel like that that was heavy for me as a a tween watching that i was just looking at christina ricci as a tween (laughs) uh and written by sherry stoner that movie that's right yeah honestly yeah if you're if you're gonna do a casper movie like where do you go Mm. Uh, i think that's it (laughs) you how did casper die that's what we all want to know they're the questions we've always had just (laughs) like yeah i which this Casper joke presages the better Casper joke at yeah. the end of this season. One of my all-time favorites. A dark joke, to be sure. And even Marge is like, lighten up, kids. <laughs> yeah. Would you lighten up a little? Yeah. <laughs> I also noticed Cornelius V. Simpson, which seems like a reference to Cornelius Vanderbilt, the mm. the, the great, great, great grandfather of Anderson Cooper and Timothy Oliphant. Oh, wow. And the, uh, the Vanderbilt fortune. Uh, uh, I guess he's the start of it there. 
But the episode then begins properly with Homer going trick-or-treating, which this, even as a child, did confuse me. I thought, did the kids go trick-or-treating earlier and then Homer went alone, or are they going to do it later? Like, why would the kids not go trick-or-treating to get free uh, candy? I've always had that question. They're missing out on valuable trick-or-treating time. I like the idea that Homer went on his own. Yes, he didn't didn't chaperone the kids. He's like... (laughs) And we have, like, three... So we have... uh, They have more time to kill because the shows were longer back then, but we have the intro with Marge, we have the credit sequence, and then we have the the wraparounds with the treehouse. So, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of time is passing from the beginning until the first segment. I like how they had the time to do uh, the wraparounds, which, you know, they... They drop really, really soon in these in these uh, Halloween shows. But it is fun to give, you know, it is fun to give like a little bit of context to what's going on. But the way you mentioned the uh, shorts, you know, the way that the wraparounds kind of end up, it is kind of evocative of the Simpsons shorts, maybe like the Goodnight uh, Simpsons one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah uh, well anytime the kids hang out together <laughs> and just be kids like that that's when it feels more shortsy too and i as and also you do have wes and silverman directing these segment two of the three segments and they they are the shorts originators i also i think of homer remember the uh the christmas special he called described himself like i'm just a big kid like that, and that i love christmas yeah. so much <laughs> uh, so so he also still loves halloween Ho- homer the holiday lover that's what he's known for <laughs> uh but uh but yes homer wants to see what the kids are up to <laughs> what a haul this year. I love Halloween. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's see what the kids are up to. And the policeman on the other end of the phone said, We have traced a call. It's coming from the floor below you. Get out of the house. But it was too late. End of story. Yawn. I heard that when I was in the third grade. It's not scary. It's two. It's not. It's two. It's not. It's two. It's not. Fine. Then you tell one scarier. Flashlight, please. Here's a story that's really scarifying. Oh, brother. I call it Bad Dream House. <laughs> Great music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- the first just hearing the music there yeah the uh but yeah actually thinking more about the shorts the way lisa says like oh brother like that is a real like end of a short scene kind of thing too uh but i i also noticed that like edgar Allan poe gets like writer credit in this it's not adaptation like he's uh, it seems like sam simon decided like i am i'm sharing credit with edgar Allan poe on this he's being cute (laughs) about it very fun yeah and uh yeah obviously there's a lot of poltergeist in this segment but i think uh it's more amityville horror yeah and uh like it's a that's a series that nobody even thinks about but the fifth movie came out the summer before this episode the fifth amityville horror movie (laughs) and uh, there's a tiny bit of shining here too yeah i noticed yeah there's a little bit of shining in there so it's weird uh thinking about this episode in my memory you know the the shinning always kind of like slots in there too Mm, yeah it's i mean you do get homer with an axe though right yeah it's pretty much the same shot as as before yeah the 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 poltergeist stuff always struck me more in this because i i even watched amityville horror eventually like in the late 90s because i as as a simpsons mega fan i was 
was like, I probably should know this one since it's such a key reference to it. But it's such a forgettable movie. And it's also like based on a, it's one of the it was like one of the first like based on a true story horror films. But it's all BS based it's on like, a famous hoax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but like yeah some pe- the based on a true story is like a family said their walls were bleeding alright well let's make mm-hmm. that into a movie I'm sure it happened <laughs> this one's written by Swartzwelder which I definitely uh, can feel that in like the Marge is a real nag and Homer <laughs> is just like come on don't be <laughs> it's also a great crazy episode for sure but uh, yeah the they also animate the titles on these it's not in post like for mm-hmm. for all three segments which is an impressive choice and I guess well let's talk about the uh, the big guest star in this episode and I will uh, play the always respectful anti-death jingle here <laughs> I ain't dead yet yeah, so James Earl Jones, and he plays a character in every segment, and it's very distracting when he's not Sarek the Preparer. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, James Earl Jones, a living legend at 89 right now. I mean, he's it's it's redundant to say, but he's an incredible talent, like mm-hmm. one of the best actors of his generation with a, a voice that is unforgettable. And I think he was one of the first uh, actors to actually be credited in the mm-hmm. credits with their yeah, real name. Yeah. Harvey Firestein, I think, is the first. He was the first, and then James Earl Jones right after yeah he's a great like addition of texture to this whole thing you know you feel you feel like this is an extra special episode because of that and he gets the joke like he's a really good like he's especially in the third act a second act he is uh he he's a good at playing along with them in the, for the comedy of the scenes oh yeah i'll say like uh the only distracting one is when he's the mover yes <laughs> like, this yeah, mover this sounds one. like james earl jones yes. marge <laughs> that's very it is very distracting yeah uh but i mean yeah we all grew up with him as like you know darth vader and mufasa but i i also say if people haven't seen it his his oscar winning performance in the great white hope which was hmm. a film adaptation of a, a broadway play he originated he's amazing in that uh also uh if you it was filmed for the tonys he he originated the role of troy in fences uh right and he's which denzel washington would then play in the film adaptation and in a uh 2010 broadway revival he is amazing like look up his tony performance of it it's incredible like he's yeah i and he's still still active he was darth vader just a couple years a few years ago in in rogue one i guess he was mufasa in the live action lion king live action in quotes <laughs> lion king as well. oh, they kept him okay cool yeah see i believe he was the only guy that came back i mean you can't really replace him as no. <laughs> that would be impossible uh but uh yeah so the family's moving into a brand new house uh homer stiffs the james earl jones jones voiced uh, mover on a tip google says you should pay a mover five dollars you should tip five dollars for every hour they work for you that's hmm. that's what google says about tipping movers uh yeah i have nothing to say about movers except uh hire movers yes. if you're out there and you're like eh, i can move without movers just mm. do it if you're not in your 20s anymore hire a mover yeah i uh my last move i did uh, like three years ago i when i did finally pay movers i was like what have i been doing my whole life i would to save two hundred dollars i like broke my back and just <laughs> Like, and, and a lot of your things yeah and tortured my friends by being like i'll get you pizza just help me move it's like no i if if you can afford it get get movers it's it's worth it. every dollar is worth it whatever you pay and so yes they're moving in homer mentions that it was a motivated seller that got them in there 
and there's some great visual gags i love the get uh, the books putting themselves back in the box as soon as bart removes them <laughs> uh though i did notice a weird shot in it when mark says like what on earth was that like a table leg fully obscures her i huh. i it's an odd choice on the framing of that shot marge heads into the kitchen she sees the bleeding walls and that's when they see the vortex which i think it looks good it looks I good it looks good what the it heck? looks it looks really good i don't know yeah. what they're on on the commentary uh it's got like this uh it's got like this in-camera sort of shimmer yeah. over it it's a cool effect like, it's incredibly like difficult to do it, it looks awesome and it's got this like gradient as it goes in it's very impressive and the way the orange like uh, turns into a flash of light that disappears like that that's like an anime explosion effect it's so cool looking uh yeah i, I the i think the vortex is a poltergeist reference i think that like they open it there's a door with a vortex in it after the, the little girl gets eaten and yeah i was uh, getting i was getting poltergeist from that and uh yeah i, I also like that the gets something thrown back saying don't stop throwing <laughs> the people in the other end they know vortex exists and they just don't want crap they're not interested in figuring out who's on the other side of it they they're just don't sick want of all the littering <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so yeah they come back into the room Bart is floating in the air, being choked by floating things. I like that that makes Homer angry. He's like, let's see you talk your way out of this one, boy. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Which there's no way you can blame Bart for what's happening there, but Homer is ready to be like, this is obviously Bart's doing. That feels like a very Schwarzwelder uh, touch, yeah. that line. Oh, man, Schwarzwelder is totally understanding Homer in this one. I, I also, I, I think this is the episode, may, maybe the episode where Dan really figures out Homer. Like, he has to scream yeah. so much in this that I think he really gets Homer in this one. Yeah, the Homer voice felt like, you know, like almost fully formed. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, definitely in the Raven segment, it's like it it, it definitely gets like pushed uh, as far as it'll go, at least for like a while. And it, it, it all feels like the character we know. Homer, especially I think the the nuttiness of the treehouse gets Homer to scream so much more that I think. I I wonder if that's what Push Castle and added to be like. Walter Matthau just has to go away entirely from this voice. I I can't do it th this much screaming and keep that. No more Jackie Gleason either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, Marge isn't liking all this, and Homer Homer is trying to convince her to stay. I can feel an evil presence in this house. Evil? Hi, at least you're scaring your mother. Children, get your coats. We're leaving this house right now. <laughs> Wait a minute, Marge. It's only natural there'd be some things wrong with an old house like this. It's a fixer-upper. <laughs> What's the problem? We get a bunch of priests in here. We're not going to live in a house of evil just to save a few dollars. Don't be so stubborn. We're not talking about a few dollars. We're talking about a few thousand dollars. <laughs> it's got great high ceilings. <laughs> Tell you what, let's um, sleep on it, okay? Mm, all right, but if anything happens... What could happen? <laughs> 
I think this was the one that creeped me out the most as a kid. It didn't scare mm-hmm. me, but just like how the Simpsons almost kill each other, and also the music. I remember that really creeping me out as a kid because I never never heard anything like that before. Yeah, yeah. Also, one of the best things about these like uh, earlier Simpsons is like seeing the characters suddenly become like uh, three dimensional. Mm-hmm. Like you get so much of that in this ep- in, in in this segment too, with them all floating around. You really kind of get to feel like Homer go like towards and away from camera in like you know a fun way that maybe they wouldn't do in a normal episode it's like it's really fun to look at they're having to figure out a lot of new angles to portray them from because they've they've never floated <laughs> before in the series. I I love and also like it is a very Swartzwaldery touch of Homer is literally flying through the air like it's already metaphysical, but Homer's still like ah you know what could happen? Nothing's, <laughs> nothing's going on. Let's just sleep on it. I I especially just love his like when he gets up to the top after saying there's great high ceilings was that so ADR. But he's just like, just full on scream and then fall. (laughs) Uh, So funny to me. And especially like very uh, Wes Archery like mouths on him as he's screaming. It's it's so funny. Uh, Also, and I also think it's another Poltergeist reference of Lisa feeling the evil presence. The the little girl doing it. I guess really Maggie is more the little girl from Poltergeist as the youngest sister. But yeah I, I just homer and homer saying like don't be so stubborn like <laughs> god also good but uh but yeah the, and, oh and another like great cartoony drawing like after homer hits the ground his face squished into the ground yeah. is such a funny drawing too yeah it feels like um it feels like the way his uh head squishes back to normal maybe happened a little slower than it was supposed to, but it looks amazing. Uh, they, that's part of the curse of the house that's doing that. Expecting <laughs> physics. Uh, but yes, it's uh, it's night in the house. Everything's getting scary. There's, uh, when you see in Lisa's window, the tree outside, that's that's another kind of poltergeisty reference, hmm. just the scary tree outside, but uh, not that it does anything. But uh there's another one that's like clearly ADR, but I really love it of when the house is talking to Bart and he says, are you my conscience? That's really great. <laughs> I really want a cell of just like Lisa holding the knife. Oh, yeah. Just out of context. Yeah. It's very funny. <laughs> just her pulling when he says the butcher knife, Lisa, and she just pulls it all out like it was in this giant butcher knife was sitting by her bed. Just running time. her finger along the blade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And her eyes are just like completely dead. The, the animators, now it's, uh, we've seen the Simpsons and Halloween specials do the craziest stuff, but imagine the animators who, you know, are just in the second season. They're like, we get to draw Lisa holding a knife <laughs> and trying to kill someone. Like, that is fun. Like, that is a new, a very new experience for them. Like, this the show debuted less than a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and- it's a, it, you feel like the organic fun of them blowing off a little steam yes. here, but yeah. you know it's it, it is mandatory fun because they were told to do all this stuff but, <laughs> you know you see him have fun with it and uh yeah there's even a bit of maggie walking around with a knife in her mouth oh that's great yeah uh, a little knife yeah and that's and that's where homer is holding up the axe in uh the a shining or shinning reference there and uh, i also like the the silliness of marge marge is i'm in the kitchen homer like <laughs> it makes why did she say it like that when she's not crazy and she's making a sandwich i love that mislead 
especially like as it cuts to all of them i mean just amazing shots of all of them laughing and cackling. like walking in a circle like yeah. stalking each other that's <laughs> uh, a great shot and then it cuts to marge bringing a knife down and it then being a sandwich like that's a good that's a really good joke but uh, yes marge has to prevent a knife fight I like how out of nowhere that is. Just yes. like yeah. <laughs> yeah. she just suddenly finds it in that scene, the the <laughs> Indian burial ground, as yeah. they call it. She she opens the door and just like, oh, you know, let's look down in the basement. <laughs> I just love their very conversational getting out of killing each other yes. just being like oh sorry about that <laughs> once this <laughs> once the spell is broken they're like no sorry 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 you know in poltergeist the realtors do a lot more work to hide the, the native burial ground but it's just uh, there with headstones yeah, which like christian headstones yeah which that leads to a funny thing on the commentary my favorite reveal we we talk about the the stress between animator and writer on this uh mike reese tells the story that so there's crazy horse and not so crazy horse tombstones in there when the animation came back and other producers saw it they were like these animators that and these bad jokes we're mad and then reese on the 2001 commentary reveals that that was actually his joke that he had sent to the as as requested by the animators to put a sign gag in there he sent him that and when it came <laughs> back and they blamed the animators he just let it happen in silence and did not take credit for it and on that commentary he finally confessed it's 18 uh, years at ago least he, he made it clear at last and you could tell their story was insane uh and also the joke eh, it's fine yeah it's, uh, it, it's cheesy but yeah like i feel like they're also learning what a sign gag can be and how it should be displayed because you're like some of these you can't read because the the people buried in the in the graveyard are tonto uh, mahatma gandhi and then we did crazy horse not so crazy horse but the camera scans past two cochise and hiawatha are also buried there oh man i didn't even catch that but just like the camera pans across the graves really quick and then freezes so like you have to catch it in the pan you have to like freeze frame mm. yeah they i think they they definitely were learning better i mean we're past the you know barely legible signs of candy most dandy they're they're getting better at it but <laughs> but yes that leads to one of did dan is just uh he's an emmy winner this whole episode i think i want to meet mr plute yes yeah this this one-sided phone call here is is fantastic mr plute homer simpson here when you sold me this house, you forgot to mention one little thing. You didn't tell me it was built on an Indian burial ground! No, you didn't! Well, that's not my recollection. Yeah, well, <laughs> all right, goodbye. <laughs> He says he mentioned it five or six times. Mm, let's go, children. Oh, gee, Marge. Homer? Yep. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's really stretching in the Homer voice. Yeah. Oh, God. This is like, Indian uh, and that, that one's a direct reference to Poltergeist, right? Yes. Isn't it like Poltergeist is like, 
you son of a bitch you only moved the headstones or, or like yes yeah something like that. yeah or like you moved the cemetery but not the headstones and they just uh yeah the, he it's an actual reveal that his his boss lied and didn't uh but in this case uh, homer when he was <laughs> touring the place was told many times that what he was buying and he's and now he just wasn't listening uh, i love i that's why i love uh, when they write homer as this like for this whole segment he's a he's a dumb dad who's proud of this uh who's proud of this deal he got and as his deal falls apart and it's clearly <laughs> not as good as he thought he is defending it at every turn i that's a funny place to put homer in for the whole sequence uh as the house reveals itself and just starts like full-on talking to them there's some again great animation like of the backgrounds like the house moving oh yeah different like it's like split level backgrounds and stuff the house is kind of like breathing yeah oh yeah the um the all the like palette changes on the uh walls as they like start moving and stuff it's like really really fun yeah and to do again like uh, to uh, to think that there'd be notes on this animation when you think like hey acom overseas is doing so much with <laughs> with this in their their second year on the show and their first real full season on the show it's it's incredible they pulled this off uh but yeah as the the house is threatening them and this uh we, we uh, you know i'm complimenting dan but also oh, yeah. julie kavner really brings it in this uh, next clip you will die you will die slowly your stomach will swell your intestines will rise and boil. Your eyes will burst and some horrible stuff. Possibly your brains will start coming out through your nose. Shut up! Quit trying to push us around! Stop saying those horrible things and show some manners! Look at me. I've never been so angry. My hands are shaking. Better than your eyes bursting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just her like scream, uh, like Julie having to scream that much in the Marge voice is another big push for her. You've never heard her that angry before. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe since. Yeah, it's a nice fun. It's a nice fun turn on the story with that she like tears the house a new one kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and the house actually like a pot like kind of draws back. Like he's he got scared by Marge, and uh, he. I also like that he's he's the house is kind of making up things as he goes. Like probably your eyes. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just so so good. I and then as they as the house kind of calms down, I like how Bart and Lisa play with it in different ways. Like Bart wants him to just do tricks for him while while lisa is trying to get in touch like analyze the house <laughs> and the house refuses to be analyzed leave me alone <laughs> yeah. i like how it goes from trying to scare them just being annoyed by them yeah <laughs> and also then marge like it's like hey don't call me lady <laughs> and uh, and also another great like pose as she threatens the house and says they're gonna have to live together and then she goes with like please like there's really good like posing like her looking up at the ceiling and her uh when she says please like you can see this little pause in her like please like yeah it's really good just uh posing on him there yeah and i love how we're getting into the whole uh you know early uh series uh joke of you know the simpson family is so horrible which i yeah. think is also kind of playing off of some expectations that uh you know they thought the audience would have too oh yeah yeah uh, you know this is 
kind of they expand on it with the monkey's paw like that is oh yeah the the monkey paw is that is the last big thing of them talking about how the show is is annoying and people <laughs> hate it they give the house an ultimatum they head outside and the house says i feel like there's some hard cuts here like there's there's so much adr and you know, i think that's really in one and three that bitchin is an adr thing like yeah. what if bart swore more <laughs> it's great yeah it feels like Bart saying bitchin out of nowhere it feels like it was cut from another episode or something like an existing Bart clip it might be I I mean I it taught me the word hearing Bart say it did teach eight-year-old me that that's a word you can say (laughs) uh and and yeah that it's again another I I don't I think the house in Amityville doesn't disappear the poltergeist one definitely implodes on itself and in the movie is a really good bit of like just special effects but uh in this case it is like self-inflicted death by the house on <laughs> itself rather than be with the simpsons uh and and again archer's team they should be so proud of what they did with that like house implosion like whoever animated that like above and beyond there it's so neat yeah yeah the segment is is gorgeous and yeah like bob said it is like kind of creepy and i think a lot of that does come from you really feel like you're in this setting and it's very atmospheric and uh, and lisa it wraps it up with the moral <laughs> of the story which he does for the first two acts but not the last one yeah it's funny the both acts uh, like the first story and the second story end with disappointment like oh boy uh, i guess we <laughs> suck don't we yeah as it sucks like it, and in both cases it's like oh you thought it'd be a sad ending but actually we're the monsters like both are the we're the monsters kind of ending uh it's also very it's a weird feeling to leave on the the first segment with lisa them just going like can't but feel a little bit rejected and then they just walk down the street <laughs> uh, i mean too and i feel like in my first viewing of it i didn't know it was a series of scary stories so mm. i think i had some level of confusion in my first viewing of like oh wait this is this it's over now and then i i didn't know it was going to be a trio of stories as we come back from the commercial homer is actually very scared by that last <laughs> story like he's just shivering in fear uh but bart not so scared that wasn't scary at all bart oh yeah well how about this severed finger <laughs> Baby spit. <laughs> well, that last story was just a warm up for this mockery tale, which I call Hungry Are the Dam. And uh, I. J- just got that uh that's bart mispronouncing macabre with macabre uh, it's actually macabre henry oh and <laughs> here i am fucking up here too. uh the severed finger trick as a kid that did scare me just briefly i had never seen that before but the whole uh, when you can take off your own thumb kind of thing with your two yes. hands yeah yeah that's a pretty uh, cool trick catch up in there or put it in some cotton or something <laughs> uh but maggie called his bluff there it's although his you baby spit is also very adr i like <laughs> but uh but yeah so hungry are the damned is uh it's quite a parody it's the first twilight zone parody the show would do but hardly the last yeah and i mean the series was in constant reruns from its original airing so it was very relevant and i think like that is why the tower of terror was allowed to happen just because people just it was in the cultural memory in the early 90s it was like it was relevant enough for people to want to go on a ride even though yeah. there were no new twilight zones currently right but the new year's day 
reruns you'd watch him all the time I, it was it was always kept on in my house just to see him because well also like i as a kid finding out about the twilight zone and then finding out there were seemingly an endless number of episodes of it and i felt like i'd never run out of them even though i still don't think i've watched all of them i i actually did watch the to serve man episode uh ahead of this recording and you know it's not as good it's no a it's kind not of very a good week episode honestly uh it's interesting to see a young richard keel though and yeah you got like seeing jaws. yes i was gonna say jaws but nope, you're right he's ega that's uh, that's all he is to me yeah like i didn't watch it for the first time until uh, until like our last time we did this episode i had no idea like what the parody really was although i did appreciate this but yeah in the twilight zone episode yes the aliens are going to eat the humans mm. and that's why their book is a hilarious pun yeah. uh which is very stupid but in uh, this one it's like the setup is just like yes it's so obvious they're gonna eat them but then they don't yes so yeah. it is a very fun parody sorry to over explain things but if you haven't seen the original twilight zone episode you might not know what they're doing here i like how labored it is within the episode too it takes it from being just a reference to that to getting to be its own joke which is really fun i i think coke and waladarsky are really good at one of my favorite things i like in comedy which is a very well written intentionally poorly written story like if you read this in in the kind of ec comic that this is evoking you would think this is badly written because it heavily terribly heavily foreshadows a thing that then doesn't happen and then gives you a moral of the story that doesn't make sense <laughs> and and then writing it so specifically the, in that way is great and and rich Moore, the director of this one this is another of his best like yeah would you say these parodies are now more popular than the original source material like people know these more i think people know kang and kodos more than the twilight zone now i think but like the uh the it's a good life parody with bard is the magic boy with brain powers oh, yeah, I, yeah. I think like every parody they've done are uh, that has now supplanted the original source material in the cultural memory of all of us yeah for sure and i i think even you know kang and kodos are so much more famous than like the ec comics uh monsters that kind of inspired them even though there isn't a particular ec comic cover that inspired them but it's like we know those characters so much more than we can think oh these are like a specifically old-timey ec comic character <laughs> i i will say if you look up the cover for weird science number six from 1951 uh the al feldstein drawn cover it's a bit kang and kodosy like they it's not like one-to-one -one, but they are green aliens with like you know space helmets on i think so. they are based on a uh, doodle by jay kogan like yes. he couldn't convey what he wanted with writing for the animator so he kind of like drew a doodle like no do it like this <laughs> yeah there seemed to be like a few different weird science uh covers where it's like yeah the number six one kind of has the tentacle sort of thing and then i saw there was another one that was number 16 that kind of had a uh, alien in like a bubble headed outfit yeah it's kind of just like a mashup of like this is what aliens look like and also you know we had space mutants by this time too yeah and they kind of feel like the the bigger brothers to the space mutants. Yeah, as soon as Kang and Kodos were invented, the space mutants were forgotten about. It's like, no, we have our space mutants now. It's Kang and Kodos. Yeah, and they look so much more specific and cool than just like the blobby aliens of the space mutant films. I, I think too about things replacing stuff. It's like in our childhoods, we got to see the revamps of things that uh, the Gen Xers and Boomers uh, before us had. Like we knew the Crypt Keeper and Tales from the Crypt because there was the HBO 
show mm. made by kids who grew up with it and we knew at least the term weird science as the name of a movie and then a tv show because the people who loved those comics as a kid then made movies but it kind of ended with us like there's not more weird science and i don't think there's been a new tales from the crypt in a long time there's a new Twilight Zone, but it's buried on CBS oh, yeah, a streaming that's right, sites. The Jordan Peele one. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. I, yeah, I think the, the uh, kind of anthology series is just not popular right now, especially because you're expected to be able to catalog every single piece of media and go back and watch it again. So why would you make a show that's all one-offs, mm. you know, when you can make what like one long miniseries uh, that everybody has to binge? I think Black Mirror was the last one of those, and I don't know if they've done a Black Mirror parody on Treehouse yet. I think they did. Okay. I think they did, yeah. I, I think last year, I think 30 had a Black Mirror parody, or a parody of a specific Black Mirror episode that I, I had to look up. I haven't watched it either. I, uh, it seems like a real bring down, honestly. <laughs> I, I'm I, looking in the Black Mirror every day. Uh, I'm checking Twitter. I just, yeah, I just know it as the joke people say about like, what if your phone was watching you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this uh, section here begins with a joke that I'm glad the commentary was there to explain because I always forget that Homer's mafia staff apron makes no sense <laughs> otherwise. Uh, but it is a reference to when the Godfather was new, they made uh, merchandise for it or people may knock off merchandise. So like I'm the official mafia chauffeur or whatever and bumper stickers like mafia staff car yeah yeah so wow so now it's explained it makes no sense the but. mafia was a new idea when the godfather came out it was a fairly new idea people didn't know about the mafia until That's like true. fairly shortly before that sopranos just killed it then like it just we we knew it too well after that and i do like this gag with the uh the lighter fluid mm. but it makes me think of the heightening of this gag from lisa the vegetarian and i watched the clip again and it is funnier because homer squirts all the lighter fluid out of the bottle and then when you think he's going to light it he gets another bottle squirts all of it out and then when he lights it it lights nicely but this takes like 40 seconds to do it's so great and i love uh, that gag so much yeah it's fantastic and it, yeah it's setting the stage for our expectations for this gag they could do this gag once a season <laughs> uh i i feel like this giant fireball gag was in like every clip package they put in for a time but yeah until until kirkland mark kirkland's vegetarian episode which that one i like it it's also the embellished my favorite embellishment of that one is how homer when he squeezes it he's hitting he's coating the sides yeah. of it too and like, how the spray comes out like yeah. in like a triangular fashion <laughs> yeah. it's great uh, but I mean, this is a good joke, but then it just leads to a giant fireball. But um, uh, and yeah, there's there's also a really great shot of as as they're all relaxing with the. Uh, oh, yeah. Is, there, is it supposed to be a fly joke when there's like a scream from the fly that hits the bug zapper? Is it a is that a reference to the hmm. original fly? It, it's just very it's very odd. Yeah, it's it, I don't know what it could be, but that might be it because it's just like it's just a bug zapper joke. And it's yeah. not it seems kind of lame for this for The Simpsons, even in 1990, I think. Mm. Uh, but the shot of Lisa like chewing on a hayseed and then looking up and seeing the saucer like that's just great it's like just really good space aliens arrive kind of shots I love it and the design of the saucer oh so gorgeous yeah you've got that great uh dolly zoom effect into Lisa that you know totally totally worth uh shelling out uh <laughs> whatever post they did to uh to to get that to work 
And we were Looks talking. Great. We were talking about the lighting in the first segment. There, I, I love how many different colors of light all the family is bathed in throughout the first part of this alien segment. Yeah, I think Lisa especially goes through like eight different colors in this segment, uh, just from all the lighting choices. It's very like it is the kind of bold stuff that even like ten years later. I care they wouldn't have this kind of crazy lighting changes on people uh and uh, yeah so the the alien the spaceship arrives it picks them up one by one the music cues on the tractor beam mm. just like oh god that's that was the moment i really was like alf clausen like this is what got him hired i i felt like you can that. see why they didn't go for like a fourth composer this year like no nah, he's yeah. our guy uh, no more auditions i mean yeah the the scale of the of this segment especially like when they're flying through space and stuff like you know alf his music totally sells it it's mm. it's like the thing that makes it feel like oh shit this is really happening you yeah know? he goes from like the 80s uh you know poltergeist music parody to like the 50s sci-fi flying saucer like theremin music and then to like the more like i guess victorian era music for the yeah. the raven yeah you're right yeah his like that just shows his adaptability of style which really helps this series that it can just satire a different thing on a dime of just like it's gonna be this kind of movie parody now can you write music that sounds like this film and he just does it he can just handle it all uh i you know you talk about what scared you as a kid as a kid i'm fine with it now but I actually was really grossed out. I didn't like Kang and Kodos when I first saw them because it actually did gross me on how much they drooled. The drooled. Like, the constant drooling, like, seriously disgusted me. <laughs> yeah, the drool totally bothered me too. But, like, and now they have to drool. Yeah. Uh, and they'll just be drooling all the time forever. <laughs> yeah, I love how the fun mislead of, like, you think they're drooling because they want to eat the Simpsons. That's mm. just a, something baked into the joke of the character. Now they just drool forever <laughs> for no reason. Drool. I think that was, like, a really smart choice. Because in the commentary, they mentioned that, oh, we'll just have them drool once at the beginning and then no more. And then the animators went through the trouble of having them always drool. Mm. And I feel like... That, that was a really good choice. I think without that, it, it wouldn't feel as unsettling as it does. And yeah, seeing them, I, I just chuckle now thinking like how they've so quickly became institutions like Kang and Kodos there and uh, not so much their th their third mates but seeing them in this as just this one-off crazy thing I then think about how like in 2015 I went to Universal Orlando and you can ride basically a parody of the Dumbo ride that mm, is that's right. Kang moving uh, sorry Kodos moving you up and down in a spaceship and it's it's crazy to think there's just this giant light actually bigger than like size uh kodos uh it just sitting around in universal orlando yeah it's crazy and it's like it's a it, relatively minor simpsons thing when you think about it but yeah the fact that it's it's so recognizable it's just you know hats off to you know the character design specifically it's just very striking <laughs> uh but yes king and kodos introduce themselves in this next clip greetings earthlings i am kang do not be frightened. We mean you no harm. You, you speak English. I am actually speaking Rigelian. By an astonishing coincidence, both of our languages are exactly the same. <laughs> well, what are you going to do with this man? Kodos and I are taking you to Rigel 4, a world of infinite delights to tantalize your senses and challenge your intellectual limitations. Look, I'm 
know that to you, we Simpsons are a lower order of life. We face that prejudice every day of our lives. But we are happy on our little planet. We throw ourselves on your mercy. Please return us to... Dinner time. Hey, get a load of that spread. Here you go, Earthlings. Take all you want, but eat all you take. Well, thank you very much, mister. To pronounce it correctly, I would have to pull out your tongue. <laughs> That's old Sarah. We need up for Spock's dad, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 James Earl Jones there with Sarah is like he found some flemminess. Like he just like yeah. rip out your tongue. Like yeah, he's he's really going for it with this alien voice he's doing. I love the joke about uh Rigelian sounding exactly like English. Uh yeah, just because uh that's that's like a nitpick that I just like, you know, have to roll my eyes at when it's like well, Star Wars is on an alien planet, so why is there English? It's just like, all right, yeah. come on. How come? Why are they called X-wings? There's no letter X in their yeah, language. Yeah. Come on, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> now it's uh, it's been fun to see, and I've been watching, you know, Mandalorian as as I am told as yeah. society demands I do. Uh, but I, I also like it; it's a good show. But see, when they have to show, like, well, here's the note they left. It has to be written in the blocky alphabet that, right. that is was later established by to, to me it still looks weird i i just assume like wait you've the language of basic in the world of star wars i just it confuses me when it's spoken english but it's not written english too yeah too much too much thought if you ask me just make it english it's fine <laughs> and lisa did a lot of these kind of speeches back then like about she in uh dance and homer she makes this kind of speech of like we're a simple people who right. can't leave this town like i i think of this uh the kind of speeches they gave to lisa back then and also hearing the the sound design though they've got alf the sound design is still uh like the first season a lot of wriggling tentacles in the background yeah and <laughs> and maggie's pacifier just yeah. over dialogue and also some loud shoes oh really. yeah they have not silenced the shoes yet in this uh timeline i think it was the first time i as a kid heard the phrase take all you want but eat all you take that's uh an important like remember that when you go to uh well, I guess buffets are over now. No more buffets. <laughs> They're not going to happen anymore. Yeah, and then yeah, we... just don't go anyway. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's not very good. And then we um we we get another like pork chops and applesauce thing for Homer, which will disappear after like season two. But that uh, was an yeah. early run year for him. Uh, we saw that uh, when he was captured as Bigfoot and eating pork chops, he was like more applesauce. That's right. Yeah, yeah. His his pork chop stuff goes away in season three. I think they. I I do like that how impressed they are that the aliens made the most pedestrian of dishes. When you'd imagine they could make anything, so fried sli shrimp, sloppy joes, and pork chops and Marge is uh, impressed by the radish rosettes they're a very advanced yeah, race I, love that. <laughs> I i watched a youtube video on how to make them it does seem very difficult hmm. I, I don't think i'll, I'll give it a shot <laughs> but also just all of their daring at them like the licking of yeah. lips like your wife is quite a dish I that. <laughs> which i guess really is Sarek is thinks that marge is very attractive yeah. and is telling homer that <laughs> uh that's that's a extra when you know the twist then it's it's even funnier they're all being super genuine it's yeah. nice <laughs> even though they're laughing to themselves quite a lot at how genuine they're being 
<laughs> but uh, also some fantastic interiors to the spaceship yeah, too. Yeah, it's like, great. Ah, the design. Ah, oh, amazing. Uh, but yes, the aliens are uh, showing them around their ship. Uh, that includes uh, a gamer joke that I did get as a as a youngster. Not every reference I got at age eight, but I did get. This I got one. that because I had an Atari twenty six hundred. That was my first gaming console, and I was like, that was like five or six years ago. Yeah. I'm playing Nintendo now. <laughs> uh, we're so advanced. Yeah, I I couldn't imagine that Paul. Uh, anything could look better than Mega Man 3 back then. Uh, but yeah, I, I like this little exchange here. It is our great pleasure to provide you with unlimited entertainment on your intergalactic journey. On this cable system, we receive over one million channels from the furthest reaches of the galaxy. You get HBO? No, that would cost extra. <laughs> and over here is our crowning achievement in amusement technology. An electronic version of what you call table tennis. Your Primitive paddles have been replaced by an electronic... Hey, that's just Pong. Get with the times, man. Marge and I played that old game before we were married. But we did build this spaceship, you know. Anyone from a species that has mastered intergalactic travel, raise your hand. All right, then. Huh. I'm sorry. Your game is very nice. I love that, how Barry's Marge is like, the game is very nice. That alien was just quoting uh, George Meyer. Yeah, this has come up so many times on their commentaries where it's just, this was George Meyer trolling the writers, where if a writer said, I don't like this movie or I don't like this album, he would say, number of Oscars won yeah. by person, number of Oscars won by you, zero. Like that, that just came up in the... Uh, Bart to the Future episode of, of Marge saying That's right. <laughs> treasure chest found by Homer zero. <laughs> I mean, it is, I guess it does shut things down, but also it's like, I, you can still have, you don't have to win awards to be, or sell a million albums to have an opinion on a, on a, a record. Well, now they're all, I mean, as of like later in the year, they would all be like gold record or platinum record they winners. Platinum, yeah. <laughs> for uh single right. blues. Al Jean can legitimately call himself a platinum recording artist. <laughs> as a kid i knew that it looked worse and also though the idea that like my it did confuse me as a kid the thought that like oh my parents could have played pong before i was born like just just thinking about what did my parents do mm. before i was born like just putting that thought in my head was kind of mind-blowing then uh but yes we then get the shots of them uh, talking about them being guests of honor, like him saying they want to chew the fats. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> it's so, I, I, oh my God, them picking up the, yeah. the plates. Uh, sorry. Yeah. The, uh, the, yeah. Just the way the, the, uh, the shot is framed where the, the camera is sort of like on the ground looking up at the table. And when they pull the, the, uh, the lids off of the plates, the Simpsons heads are behind them. Yeah. It's, uh. it's such a stagey shot, but I, I like how funny it is as a sight gag. <laughs> yeah. I got a heat that got a huge laugh out of me it's really fun to look at because when they pull the the lid off of homer i think he goes "Ooh, a feast yes. because they're asking like why do you guys never eat and they say oh there'll be a great feast on rigel four when we arrive <laughs> well what looks to be their like you know severed heads on a tape on a platter is and they're just so happy as they say i it's the smiling of homer and marge as they say it that makes it 10 times funnier uh but when but again when you know the twist why are kang and kodos and sarah all laughing at this why why, why are so funny why are they waiting them yes yeah. uh which which that's straight out of the twilight zone they do yeah weigh yeah everybody. that's true yeah uh yeah it's great i mean the whole segment is a is a huge screw you uh to the audience so having 
having to watch it again is just like so many questions here. <laughs> it it doesn't have the replayability of other Kang and Kodos ones, I guess, which also they're friendly aliens in this one, but they're evil every <laughs> other time they're in the show. I think this turned them. Ah. They're like humans, we can't trust them. <laughs> We should have just eaten them, they said. Yeah, and another just great moment of, like, Lisa going into the room and seeing Serac just say, like, this will give them the perfect flavor. <laughs> he just means that he wants them to have the nicest flavor they could have. <laughs> but Lisa finds the book, uh, and this, uh, I'll just play the original uh, clip mm. from the Twilight Zone. This is how the reveal goes uh, of It's a Cookbook. Mr. Chambers, don't get on that ship! rest of the book to serve men it's it's a cookbook no 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 uh and they get shoved up an escalator or like a bunch of stairs just move up and shove them in the ship so they translate the alien language and apparently uh, even in their language serve has two meanings yes yeah <laughs> i mean it's incredible localization by these these uh translators but uh yeah it's uh, i mean it's such a labored thing to get yeah. to uh, but but it's uh i and then what's even weirder in the twilight zone that then it ends with like the guy on the spaceship then just talks directly to camera like are you gonna be eaten it'll it'll happen to one of us somebody i was like all right we, we got it i'd rather it be uh rod serling <laughs> yeah why? talking to me was rod serling busy that week or something why couldn't he be on camera for that uh but yes it uh it's funnier when yardley uh says all these lines as she discovers a very dusty book Listen, you big, stupid space creature. Nobody, but nobody eats the Simpsons. I beg your pardon. Don't play dumb with me. We found your book. Uh, you mean this? <laughs> it's a harmless cookbook. It's just a little dusty. <sighs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. There's still more space dust on here. <laughs> Let me get this straight. You thought they thought we were going to eat them. <laughs> Good God. Is this some kind of joke? No, they're serious. Well, why were you trying to make us eat all the time? Make you eat? We merely provided a sumptuous banquet. And frankly, you people made pigs of yourselves. I slaved in the kitchen for days for you. People and well, if you wanted to make Serac the preparer cry, mission accomplished. You aren't the only beings who, who have emotions, you know. Oh, that's so great. And I just heard an audio joke I didn't pick up when I was watching this. You hear that like, like squeaky noise? Uh, Sarek is crying and he's wiping the front of his uh, glass oh, dome right. with the uh, oh. with the tissue. That's, that's why great. you hear that like squeaky like window cleaning noise. <laughs> it's brilliant. I love I love uh, the term space dust. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But just uh, just the line. Oh look, there's more space dust. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, and they have they have a little panel for blowing dust off in their thing that they can open up. I oh, god. I they they said that they credit John Vitti for coming up with a the continually blowing off the dust thing but but the color change uh, when lisa blows off the dust it says how to cook f uh, 40 humans every mm. it's like bathed in red light you know the light transition is so cool oh god yeah that like it's it's the red and blue against each other it's like such a uh stark shot like especially also when 
right at the start of the scene where Kang comes in and says like humans you have stopped eating like the coloring on that shot too is gorgeous in its boldness I wish they hadn't moved away from that kind of like extreme coloring in when a moment calls for it yeah again the lighting throughout the show is one of the things that really elevates it it's like you you have the music but definitely like you're seeing like more complicated camera angles and and colors that you've ever seen on the show and it really really turns it into something different and i love king Kodos becoming like the good god uh just these these put upon hosts too are just like make you frankly you acted like pigs like, <laughs> uh, just being passive aggressive like it works too is just a great like end of a sketch like this could just be a sketch if you replace the simpsons with just random family in an snl sketch it would work just the same and i like yeah. how they're like the twilight zone always has a lesson or a moral and this one it's just like uh, you should trust people even if they're acting very suspicious yes yeah <laughs> no i i uh yeah i have that clip too here we offered you paradise. You would have experienced emotions a hundred times greater than what you call love, and a thousand times greater than what you call fun. You would have been treated like gods, and lived forever in beauty. But now, because of your distrustful nature, that can never be. Hmm. For a superior race, they really rub it in. <laughs> there were monsters on that ship. And truly, we were them. Lisa, see what we mean when we say you're too smart for your own good? Way to go, Lisa. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa ruins everything. Poor Lisa, man. Poor Lisa. Even Homer I had, being like, yeah, thanks, Lisa. I miss the march at the end. Yeah. Lisa's pronouncement, you know, makes that the moral of the story, but I think it could just end with Marge going like, they really rub it in. Like that, that's so great because you've, there's so many Twilight Zones that end with a person saying, well, you could have had paradise, but blah, blah, blah. It'd be so great in all of those if the character's like, all right, I get it. You know, you don't have to rub it. <laughs> I'm talking to the audience now, not you. Uh, yeah, even as a kid, even today, as a kid, I was like kind of bummed out by that, and I still am. Just like, oh, they totally missed out on a fun time yes. to be immortal. <laughs> Basically, heaven. They were denied yeah. heaven. <laughs> I love the scale of uh, what is it? A hundred times greater than love, and a thousand times greater than fun. No, oh, yes, great. yeah. The it's been quantified like, that love, love is at a certain level, fun at another, and it's the the one is ten times greater than that. I yeah. uh there there is a little a slight animation mistake but I can see why they didn't you know retake it because it's the big pan up at the end oh yeah marge has white pearls instead of her usual red ones but it's like that that's such a complicated one that a retake on that's going to cost you a lot more i'd bet yeah i'm sure they were just like it's a miracle it's this good let's yeah. just go with it <laughs> and uh, then we get to the final segment which yes i think when we first did this we bagged on this too much it's just like we said it was uninteresting or like hey eh, just read the raven like I really appreciate the acting in this and also like Silverman made basically a Warner short in this. Yeah, I forget what I said about it, but I do think now uh, it's really cool. And but I do think they have something to prove. They definitely have something to prove. Like we're not that dirty show your kids won't watch. We got this classic poem and we're going to tell it to you with our characters. And James Earl Jones is going to read it with this beautiful animation. I feel like they are really trying to prove something with this. Mm -hmm. And that makes me wish they wouldn't have cut away 
way to the treehouse with recycled animation so often because as it stands uh i feel like that adulterates what could have been a little bit better i would have liked to see this presented as it was intended originally just the reading of the poem with the animation i definitely had a cool english teacher in high school <laughs> that actually played this in class when Ooh. we were studying oh oh that's that's uh, ian in my notes i said english teachers everywhere can thank the simpsons for giving them a way to teach his poem for like 15 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely i mean uh but yeah i i can kind of agree that watching it again i was actually kind of bummed out that they seemed inconfident in uh the audience's uh, attention span and being able to just watch this whole thing i honestly do wish that the simpsons would more often just try to just do like genuine things without giving themselves or the audience an out to say like oh it's just stupid who cares and the cutaway jokes are not like funny no, they're I, not they're not funny or worth it. It just is distracting. And uh, yeah, I, I just feel like, well, when they got on the commentary, they talk about when we got this back from, you know, overseas, we were like, this is going to be the worst thing we've ever made. It's so long. It's not funny. Mm. This could make our show look bad. So we got to like spice it up a little bit. Yeah. And I wish they, they should have had the confidence at this point. I can understand where they were coming from, though. You know, are we just going to weird out the whole audience because this is like too educational? I don't know. I think they had something really good here. Um, I, I, think, I think through Bart, they express what they fear children at home are thinking of that. They worry the kids at home are getting as bored as they portray Bart getting. And they're like, all right, we'll cut to Bart. So you're not bored of this long scene and here's here's your favorite bard he's here he's still here guys whenever i revisit this i always think it's going to be much drier than it actually is it's, it's actually it's it goes by super quickly and the animation is so amazing uh this is david silverman segment and the storyboards are by him and jeff lynch jeff lynch is one oh, of the greatest directors on the show for sure like theatrical quality animation that he could bring to it in his apps like the i i think we've said that probably one of the top three best uh, episodes animation wise they ever did was who shot mr burns part one mm -hmm. and that's lynch like and and same the hellfish episode is like animation wise a tour de force i'll say to after our kogan interview saying that the raven was so important to sam simon and then hearing on the commentary graining say that he was so worried that this was too artsy fartsy and that he that it would be seen as over the top that to me and sam simon is not mentioned once on this commentary yeah. i wonder if this was like a sticking point that for graining and maybe other producers too when it came back they're like we indulge sam too much by the time it came back sam simon is kind of moving out of power in the series because season three production is beginning and maybe that's why they're like you know what this is what sam wanted but we we need to cut this down it's it's too much i guess i can yeah i can totally believe that because yeah it does feel like you know they they solved their problem by making bart the raven uh yeah. so they didn't need to solve it further but i can definitely see you know your fear getting better than better of you and and just wanting to make sure that the audience has uh some hard jokes in there even though the jokes aren't too hard <laughs> no and i love the bart raven it's such a cute design oh, it's, it's so adorable. adorable yeah uh but here let's hear the start of the raven 
Hey, Poindexter, it's Halloween. Put the book away. For your information, I'm about to read you a classic tale of terror by Edgar Allan Poe. Wait a minute. That's a school book. Don't worry, Bart. You won't learn anything. It's called The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary. While I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, <laughs> as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor. I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Are we scared yet? Bart, he's establishing mood. Lisa uh, is right to say that. Like, Bart, shut up. Shut up. He's established <laughs> yeah, like, uh, all these interruptions are annoying. And, uh, God, but Alf Clausen's score, I wish I could just get the score for this isolated because it's so, so good. In his first episode, too, yeah. it's amazing, the score. Yeah, and uh, honestly, like, just all of the artistic choices made, not only the boarding, but, like, the background design is really great. And I love the design of Homer's chair as well. It just gives everything this nice, like, focal point. Yeah, yeah, it's this... Uh, just the the interior design of it all just feels like this perfect like stately old study and homer's character design in his like smoking jacket is so great too and and dan's performance here that he you know uh the james earl jones is doing just a great narration like just reading of this poem in a scary dramatic way but then dan has to say like they don't change any so they do cut about three or four stanzas from the raven but every word that said is from the poem. And so Dan has to say things as Homer without changing the words. I love when he says quaff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I do love the little gags they stuck in just visually of Forgotten Lore Volume 2 is, is what he's reading. That he has a miniature cask of Amontillado that he's drinking out of. Like, that's uh, there's there's some good little gags there. And then, oh man, as he, as he starts to remember that bleak December and the chair like floats through the air. That's so ambitious. Silverman and Lynch and, and their team, wow, just... To, to pull that off, a dream sequence within a story that's being and told. Just, it's full of the most amazing angles you've never seen before in this show. Yeah, it's really it's really uh, hard to forget that, you know, the show never really looked like this before. And mm. so seeing it, you can feel sort of like the clumsiness of them feeling it out, but the characters feel so solid. And it, I love that it kind of all takes place in this one room which which you know feels really good to me yeah it's just fun to watch even it's not like the funniest uh <laughs> silliest short of this series but uh it's really fun to look at yeah that's a great point it does take place in one room and because of that they have to get as creative as possible with like yeah. as many different kinds of shots and all of these like you know homer floating through the chair floating on the chair through the air and things like that and uh yeah they, they, they make the most of this in this like what four or five minute segment yeah oh man in the shot of the the smoke touching his face like becoming hands and pulling at it like it it has kind of the feel of like you know scary disney shorts too like it i guess when i said it's the 
this is more of a i said it was a warner short but this actually feels like more of the when there'd be a horror short uh in the disney shorts era i think it has more of that feel yeah i can i can totally see that and just overall the whole thing all of the like character acting is really great you know it's fun to see you know uh david silverman like flex his muscles there this is a little bit of a sidebar but i will say uh to stick up for current simpsons the character acting in the show has never really faltered i feel like they from the stiffer you know there is sort of like a middle era of simpsons that is very stiff but if you look at like kind of like recent episodes, you can see that there's like a lot of thought put into character acting to try mm. and make sure that like it's on par with this like silver mini stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just I did watch some recent ones uh, that the, the recent when we recorded this in, uh, in December, uh, in a bleak December. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I uh, there was in the Road to Cincinnati one, like Chalmers has this like big just like shouting speech at at Skinner, and I do think he takes on like the the acting in that is very well done. I uh, I in this bit here too. One, they bring back the the old shorts era gag of a picture being not big enough to contain Marge's hair. Right, right. I, I did like it to see it return in this way. And just uh, the the one most egregious interruption of this story I find is when they literally put the words "eat my shorts" into the into the Raven's mouth, which were mm. it was not there originally. You could tell he's saying nevermore, and then they cut away to Lisa going, "That's not what he says, Bart." And then they yeah. go back to the story, just like you you interrupted the story to give us the T-shirt catchphrase. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I guess it's slightly funnier the right before that where like Homer opens the door and it goes darkness there, nothing more. And then Bart says, you know, be scarier than that. Anything that's at least like not shoving in a catchphrase it is a critique of the raven poem at least it's a little smarter they had such little animation to work with in that treehouse that like it is so obviously reused nothing yeah. matches in like it's it's like you often get just the exterior shot of the treehouse right yes, as they talk yeah. to each other yeah. well and also with those yeah. rock and rolled mouths like it stands out even more next to these like amazing like silverman drive homer screaming is such a great silverman drawing and then you then just go back to these same three shots you've seen before it it really takes you out of it yeah and like you know the way that uh silverman is drawing the characters it's like you really feel like a master at drawing these characters at work uh making them work in three dimensions i i feel like the bart raven you see a lot of like dimensionality to its head and stuff too mm. as it's like flying around it's like it's really <laughs> nice to look at uh, but yes, the bird will s say nothing more than nevermore. Then me thought the air grew denser, perfumed by some unseen scent. Stupid ginger. Swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch! I cried. Thy God hath led thee by these angels he hath sent thee. Respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff! Oh, quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. No! Be that word outside the parting! Burner fiend! I shrieked up starting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night platonian shore! No! Leave no black plume as a token of the lie! Thy soul has spoken! Leave my loneliness unbroken! Quit the bust above my door! Take thy beak from off my heart <laughs> and take thy farm from off my door! Quoth the raven. Nevermore.
Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door, quoth the raven. Nevermore. Why, you little... This is just explaining my life during quarantine with my parrot. <laughs> Stop mocking me. Uh, but he, all he says is... Ne- well, he, he says other things than Nevermore, though. It's true. <laughs> Actually, you should never teach him Nevermore, or else he will go insane. He calls me a bad boy. I'm saying it right here on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I I also, uh, right before that, in Homer's big speech to him, uh, when he's being friendly, like the way Homer says, I'm sure, no, craven. And he gives like a little <laughs> wink. I love that. I, I, I have to say that. I didn't read this poem until after I saw this because I was eight when this aired. And now when I read it, the few times I have read it, I just hear Homer and these and doing these line readings too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Just his, and to hear Homer just shout like quaff, oh quaff, leave my loneliness unbroken. Like his screaming of that, like Dan is just acting it up here. He is, I think he had to also just raise his stature of these lines because James Earl Jones is such a, you know, weighty actor that he has to keep up with that in, in it. There's some quick little, like basically Tom and Jerry gags of him chasing the bird around and it getting books dropped on him. And I think all the books are, are they all Poe books? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's there's some good uh, sight gags in the whole thing, and I think you can see Poe's bust uh, behind Homer. Yes, uh, in 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 some of these scenes too, and even the the very Looney Tunes gag of the Nevermore birds uh, going around his head after getting hit, like that's a, that's a great little shot. Uh, but I guess yeah, the in the actual poem, the the man in it does not physically chase <laughs> after the raven he just kind of gives up and lays on the floor well they spiced it up yeah uh but yes the the ending here oh i gotta say the music in this part gives me goosebumps every time it's so so good mm-hmm. still is sitting still is sitting on the pallet bust of the palace just above my chamber door and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming and the lamp light o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Lisa, that wasn't scary. Not even for a poem. <laughs> well, it was written in 1945. Maybe people were easier to scare back then. Oh, yeah. Like when you look at Friday the 13th Part 1. It's pretty tame by today's standards. Children, bedtime. I guess I'll have no trouble getting to sleep tonight. homer is so scared by that it's it's kind of crazy i I love that not even for a poem (laughs) yeah that's a good line uh to go back to that music i was just thinking like did they wheel a harpsichord into that studio and an Mm. organ like how how, did they have access to all these things it's just so amazing god yeah uh the way yes the way it builds up to the last like uh evermore like just boom like yeah it it builds so perfectly i think you're right this is the best bit alf does the whole episode and friday the 13th part one only a decade old when this episode was new so yeah (laughs) 1980 wow i 
I think I wanted to watch the first Friday the 13th just so I could know uh, Bart's reference here. Like, is it less scary than other ones? And I mean, well, Friday the 13th doesn't even feature Jason and there's (laughs) nothing magical or metaphysical to it. It's just a serial killer movie. And all the kills are like someone being filmed going, oh, it's you. What are you doing here? (laughs) Wait, no, put that down. (laughs) It's it's kind of boring and stupid, but there is a game of Strip Monopoly in it. Yeah, but you don't even get No no one gets naked. Yeah, nobody even takes any clothes off. Sleepwalk. Camp is the better camp movie. I've said it here. <laughs> but uh, I didn't get the joke as a kid that Bart, as a 10-year-old, uh, should never have seen this an R-rated horror film like that one. And so him being able to say it's not as scary is, is pretty funny. I guess by 1989, they were already at part eight. <laughs> the re- Jesus. Yeah. It was man. like one a year. That's that's too many. From 80, yeah. Uh, and uh, it cuts to all the kids in bed. Uh, you get to see Maggie sleeping with a, bl- a a binky doll, which is a little cute. But I guess uh, Homer then saying he hates Halloween. I guess he forever after does hate Halloween because it scared him too much. That uh, uh, And I can see why they cut these kind of, you know, all the wraparounds are not necessary. And once I think they only were here to not to keep it grounded to some extent and also because they were they wanted it to still feel like a real episode that had scary stories in it yeah yeah they would drop that by what season six season five had the night gallery parody and then that was it yeah yeah right that was the last one yeah and and even then the night gallery one isn't taking place in reality so by that point it's like yeah who cares (laughs) yeah in that one they're just talking to the screen anyway i think i think too it was that like talking about how they amped up the violence so much like merkin seasons made it so the the zombie apocalypse thing in season four is also pretty violent but the blood there wasn't it was merkin who's like this has to be blood everywhere (laughs) david silverman was there for it like for five but we've we've said it before but the season five one is is so amazing but i mean this this is a start for it is uh it sets the tone so much for what their halloween specials would be and they'd they'd be so much more ambitious after this but this this started a halloween an american tradition honestly that is that is now gone on for 31 years in a row so pretty pretty impressive Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty cool uh to see it all start here oh i also wanted to mention uh the the bongo comics treehouse of horror yes um because those are really fun there are a lot of them are guest edited uh like and they really are kind of trying to go do like full-on ec horror uh style things i think one of my favorite ones was uh this is from a few years back now but i think it's number 15 that um i'm pretty sure it was uh sammy harkham guest edited has has like the whole thing is uh really hilarious i think that's the one with the paper rad story where all the simpsons bootlegs come to life uh, and, oh. and finally like you know it's like a off model homer and black bart simpson like <laughs> killing the real simpsons it's really really good i gotta check that one out i i i've read a few of them and they are like some of the best they really they take it even a step farther because of what they can do in comics yeah. and that is how my now wife i can say it now because at this point <laughs> in time we are married that's how hey. she won her eisner with her death note parody that's right in trios of horror comics oh, god yeah it's, it's they're they're all really really fun reads and congratulations 
<laughs> and uh, and their covers are great too like i think and i think uh, you know morrison bill morrison the uh then editor-in-chief of it i i remember the first issue of simpson comics number one the reverse side is just a full-on tales from the crypt parody comic where homer goes crazy and he's actually the, the character designs the same as this one and it's about him going crazy in his vault full of comics mm. as he has to burn them all for warmth <laughs> it's a story of comic collecting gone man oh by the way the artist's name is uh, nina matsumoto she's not just bob mackie's wife yes <laughs> <laughs> that's just one of her many skills <laughs> but yeah um, i think i know that for a lot of simpsons fans the the comics are like an acquired taste but i think it's absolutely worth picking up uh some of those treehouse of horror issues because they're they're a lot of fun. Yeah, we don't know the fate of uh, Matt Groening's new comic label as of this recording. Like, there were uh, seemingly going to be disenchantment comics, but those never came into being. Yeah. And uh, he did start a new comics label, and there are, like, stories about it, but there's been nothing, uh, at least that I've found yet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually. Oh, man. Mm. Now you're going to make me... I'm going to have to order some Treehouse collections on the on amazon soon or something because i i could they go out of print like bongo technically doesn't exist anymore does it i don't think so yeah yeah i think uh some of some of the back issues of the comic are like starting to get expensive so uh -oh. yeah i have an inside connection <laughs> <laughs> uh but ian thank you so much for being on the show uh please let us know where we can find you online and anything else you want to promote yeah, do it here please hey yeah uh follow me on twitter at ianjq ianjq uh i'm just you know a nice guy i love <laughs> cartoons maybe i'll uh, be making some new cartoons soon but uh you can uh check me out there and uh say hi and it's it's always a good time to watch okko OK let's be heroes mm -hmm. on hbo max that's right but that would HBO cost Max. extra right or yes. uh, or hulu if you got it <laughs> uh but uh but thank you so much ian it's always a pleasure thanks for having me so thanks again to Ian Jones-Cordy for being on the show. Please check out all of his stuff. He does great work, and we love having him on here. But as for us, if you want to check out more of our stuff, please go to patreon.com slash talkingsimpsons. Sign up at the $5 level. You get access to all these episodes one week ahead of time and ad-free, and also access to everything behind the $5 paywall. That includes all of the podcasts we've made for the past three and a half years. That is so many and too many to mention here, but we've done uh, the most recent one was Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 2. That was nine new episodes of Talking Futurama to close out the year of 2020, and there will be two new miniseries coming at you in the spring and the fall of 2021 only for patrons of five dollars or higher on patreon.com slash talking simpson so much is going on there but if you sign up for 10 bucks a month you get all the five dollar stuff and also access to one mega long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry bob you're talking about the what a cartoon movie podcast you know our sister podcast what a cartoon where every week we cover an animated series once a month for the $10 and up patrons, we cover a different animated feature film in the same way that we cover these animated shows and the Simpsons. Recent ones have included Dexter's Laboratory, Ego Trip, The End of Evangelion, and Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit. And a gigantic back catalog is open to you if you are a $10 and up subscriber at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So please sign up today for over two years of exclusive premium Patreon content 
And also you'd get things like our video commentary on the deleted scenes of Simpsons season 11. That's also available to $10 and up subscribers at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons, along with all of the $5 stuff Bob just talked about. So please check that out. So as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. And my other podcast, by the way, is Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast all about old video games. You can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts and sign up there for for two bonus episodes every month. That's patreon.com slash retronauts. Henry, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. I'm tweeting up a storm there all the time at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. And you know, you're following me and Bob on Twitter. You really should be following the official Twitter account of Talking Simpsons and the rest of our podcast. That is at Talk Simpsons Pod. At Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter gives you all your updates when new podcasts go live for Talking Simpsons for What a Cartoon on the free feed and the Patreon and all of the bonus content we make. You stay informed if you are a follower of At Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next time for February's episode of our community podcast, Talk to the Audience, and we'll see you then. into our dimension. <laughs>